seems life is always asking us to adapt. Economy changes. And we have to downsize or maybe the economy's improved and we have to scale up. Relationships don't go the way we expect. People don't behave the way we want them to. We have to adapt. Or walk away, you know, which is another way of adapting. Even our dogs, cats, don't do what we expect. Politics. Anybody know what the weather is tomorrow? Mm. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what what I'll do when tomorrow comes, but I'll adapt. I heard it was not raining, but that's. Mm. So we um, figure out ways to get more secure, like, you know, I could go on to uh, weather.com or something and look up the weather. That might help me feel a little better about tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to do about my dogs and my wife and my car and everything, but, you know, I guess I'll have to adapt. And so it goes, right? Work situations, earthquakes, climate change, a war here, a war there. So that stuff's clearly uh, not entirely under our control, but we do our best to control what we can. We get a house and build against the weather. So the weather changes, we still have our house. We layer, you know, we wear multiple layers so we can take one off, put one on. Strategies, we develop strategies for coping with what's uncertain. So we make everything as certain as we can but that's not very certain, so the strategies proliferate. 
plan B, plan C. Well, at least I control my mind. Oh, wait a minute. I don't know about you, but last time I looked, I didn't. So if you wanted to, could you make your mind completely placid right now? for the next five hours? I doubt it. I couldn't. Could you prevent the arising of all unskillful thoughts? I don't think so. At least you control your body, right? I my teacher Ajahn Soban said, I'm going to do a demo. No, was it Punaji said this? I don't know. One of my teachers said, I'm going to do a demonstration of mind over matter. I think it was Ajahn Soban. And, yeah, it was Soban. And he would take something like this and watch mind over matter. And of course, his, he would get great glacy. And, uh, but, the mind over matter is the, what we're doing with the, this, right? We're not controlling this. But um, I think I'll tell my body to stop aging. And let's test the limits of mind over matter. Doesn't go very far. So I don't even control this body. I don't control this mind. I don't control Mary. I've tried, but, you know, I thought for a while I had control over Lucy, but no. So what is this? Moment by moment, there's no control. This, but, the mind does not like not being in control. It doesn't like not knowing. It gets very insecure. So constantly in contact with the world through the eyes and ears and so on, this organism says, what is this? What is this? What is this? All the time I'm looking around. Who's this? What is this? Is this safe? Why are they all looking at me? And so the perceptual process of naming objects is so we can get oriented. I mean, it's really basic. It's all the way down at the, these super quick functions of the brain that then happen automatically, you know, we learn as, as infants, we learn really quickly. 
to orient in the world. Some things that we learn and orient around are basically wrong or basically dysfunctional, I should say. We, we learn tremendous fear, for example, if circumstances are such that they conduce to that. And then we see fearful things everywhere. And we live like that. But the mind is constantly, constantly trying to say, ah, this is what's going on. Ah, this is what's going on. So we can control. So we can know. So we can understand. So we can manipulate and be in the world. Find safety, right? Finding safety. Survival. We are survival machines. And in order to survive, we have to know what's going on. Is that bear going to eat me? Is that car going to run me over? What do I do to get a raise from my boss? Always trying to know and not knowing is terribly uncomfortable, terribly insecure. So I come face to face with a person and this is operating. My vigilance engine is operating. Who is this person? Am I safe? What can I get? And the kind of the figuring out that is not usually accessible to the thinking mind. It's just happening. And then some little bit of it, the top, the froth at the top, we can see. And even that's a lot. In inviting us to see things as they actually are and offering practices, methods to cultivate seeing things as they actually are. The Buddha was actually inviting us into this level of experience where the constant fabrication of safety, of scenarios, of wanting to know, of making things, of freezing the world is happening. The meditating mind can see with much more subtlety. Still doesn't see everything. But even if it doesn't see everything, the magnitude jump as to what's possible is stunning. And in Insight Dialogue, we're sensitizing the mind on that same trajectory of looking at the underneath, but we're doing it in this situation that is one of the most sensitive and complex in our lives, which is contact with another person. And so in this moment of contact, we want to know. 
uh, it's too insecure for me to not know. And the stories want to build back up about who you are. So I know where I stand with you, and I can put you where I want you to stand with me, so I can be safe, or, or I can maybe have you like me, so I can, you know, fill up my need for love supplies. But can I sit in the not knowing? Can I tolerate the insecurity? In Insight Dialogue, we pause. Very simple. We pause and we set up mindfulness. Come home. Okay. So the quality of attention strengthens and the uh, clarity of perceptual processes increases. The mind gets quicker, more supple. And perceive more detail, therefore, in what's going on. And immediately, with this pause, we're invited into a shift. A shift in how we experience the world. This is how it works in many, many meditation practices. It's sort of the center point of Vipassana, for example. Poof. What's going on here? Pause. Mindfulness. And to stabilize the mindfulness and to let it ripen and enrich and deepen and strengthen, relax, right? The way we're meeting this vibrancy of the world, which is now enhanced through this lens of mindfulness, pause, relax, receive, allow, a way of meeting this complexity, this vibrating quality. Pause, relax. And taking that into the relational with open, where we're saying, in some ideal sense, we're saying the totality of sati, the totality of mindfulness, without cutting it down, the depth of samadhi, of relax, of open, of concentration and tranquility, is taken into the field with others, relationship. And so here we are now, not just with already the um, remarkable expansion of the universe of pause, relax in this body-mind universe. We're opening it up, pause, relax, open, and wow, you know, there's a lot going on, known by the sensitive body-mind. Moment by moment, moment by moment, it's known. You know, all the history, (laughs) all the insecurities, all the desires, all the joy, all the amazement, all of the, you know, shakiness, it's all here. It's a lot. And it's not only a lot, it's completely 
dynamic. It's not an it. It's a, you know, it's not an ice cube, it's a river. I don't know what to say, but it's dynamic. It's a changing process, this pause, relax, open, this being in the world in this way. It's not like the world freezes and says, okay, give me, a, give me a few hours and I'll be all okay, I'm going to get it. Instant by instant, right? Like the magma of, of relational existence is happening. And here we are. Pause, relax, open. It's out of control. Right? So, the meditation instruction, trust emergence, invites us to surrender to this rising and vanishing of experience. It invites us to be in and know the impermanence that is the internal, external, both completely impermanent. And by recollecting trust emergence, by bringing it forward, there's a kind of a letting go into the stream of it rather than trying to fix it. Fixate it, hold it, freeze it, get it, know it, orient around it, make it fixed so I can feel okay. It's a completely different way of finding something that we might call okay, which is the It's a release. You're not trusting what's going to emerge. That's not what trust emergence means. You can't trust what's going to emerge. You don't know what's going to emerge. You know, the person opposite you really could say something cruel or could, you know, something can happen in life that is hurt, that hurts. Trusting emergence in such a moment is not relying on what's out there. It's relying on the the fact of release that you can move with it. Someone goes to hit and it's like, you know, there's just movement. And because this tendency to fixate the world is so strong, so automatic and so contrary to the ripening of meditation to trust emergence is also to attune to the impermanence to actually seek to notice it It's always here, for sure. I don't care who you want to reference, whether you want to reference Heisenberg or the Buddha, but for sure, the impermanence is always 
happening, you might say. It's always a fact. But the freezing, fixating mind is holding on to, typically, its perceptions and its thoughts and its desires and its strategies. And so to trust emergence is to uh, look for the uh, effervescent quality of experience in that moment. What in this is changing? To, to uh, attune yourself to, you, you might say, the brightness or the, um, ultimately it's like the emptiness of it. It's just, it's, it's flux. So you're attuning to flux. And this awakens the mind. If you find yourself in practice and you're kind of bored or dull, sleepy, um, you know, just not really there, just start looking for what's, you know, trust emergence. And you can see that even in this, there's something that's effervescing, that's bubbling up. And you can look around and you'll see it everywhere you look. You know, each set of eyes or in, in the voice of the person speaking. And if dullness isn't the issue, but it's just this crummy co-meditator I've gotten. All the, boy, they, stop talking, pal. You know, and you got this kind of reaction going on to how they're meditating. Trust emergence. <laughs> Trust emergence. Notice the speech. It's like, you know, it's, like you can imagine almost like you're looking at, uh, you know, uh, an oscilloscope or something. You know, they've got an oscilloscope right here, all the little waves going. And, and you're seeing the impermanence of the, of the, the waveform, the sound form of the face. But it's, it, it's just flux. And all of a sudden, all of that resistance and it's too much and not too much anymore. So it all kind of has this, you know, this grounding in anicca, in impermanence, and kind of this conflict of this organism that wants to control, be safe, know what's going on, and can't. Trust emergence. It's, it's anywhere in that space. And so if you invoke it as a meditation practice, as a guideline, then you'll see that it can, it can um, enliven your practice. It can bring flexibility where there may have been rigidity, energy where there may have been dullness. And above all, this kind of uh, staying at the edge of the moment. The emerging could be just as easily trust the vanishing. Trust emergence, trust the vanishing, it's all the same. And it could, you could throw out the word trust. You could say attune. Attune to impermanence, attune to emergence, attune to vanishing. It's all the same thing. 
So this is now the time to practice it and see what it is. Right?